This program does not provide medical advice. We assume no liability for the information provided on MindForce Radio. Please consult your physician before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. This is Roger LaPointe, and I have known Bob Whalen for many years at this point, and he is one of the most intense individuals you will ever meet. Go MindForce Radio. From Mind Force Radio, this is Natural Strength Night with Maximum Bob. On Natural Strength Night, we don't talk about the other things Bob likes to talk about. Tonight, we only talk strength training. When I say strength training, I don't mean training like punk-ass goons in the muscle magazines who jacked up on juice, steroids, and PEDs. I mean natural strength. Strength built on good food, heavy weights, and no shortcuts. If you want to learn about real natural strength, weight training the right way, the old school way, stick around. Bob and his friends just might teach you something. He's here, the host of Natural Strength Night, Maximum Bob Whalen. Coming up next is arguably the greatest muscle rider in the history of the Iron Game. Randy Roach. Randy shocked the world with the release of his first volume of Muscle Smoke and Mirrors several years ago. It was a masterpiece of over 500 pages with such in-depth research and detail that it was not only surprising, but shocking and mind-blowing. The only thing that comes close in my mind is Susan Boyle on Britain's Got Talent. When I first got Randy's book, the first volume, It was one of my biggest surprises. All I could say when I opened it was, holy shit. It was truly one of the best, if not the best, Iron Game history books ever penned to paper. He followed that with Volume 2, another epic book with over 700 pages of equal depth and detail. In addition to his writing, Randy is involved with many other aspects in the strength field as well. He invents and designs custom equipment. He is extremely knowledgeable about nutrition and is a a raw foods pioneer. He also runs his own personal training business too. Please visit Randy's website at randyroach.ca. That's R-A-N-D-Y-R-O-A-C-H dot C-A. And you have not even heard it all. Randy does all of this without eyesight. How in the hell does he do it? Stay tuned. Welcome aboard, Randy, and thanks for being on the show. How is Volume 3 coming along? Well, that is a big question, and you're the first guy for show uh, where I'm going to just kind of publicly talk about Volume 3 and what's going on and what's happened with it. I actually haven't written anything on Volume 3 in two years, and I'd like to explain why. Um, 2011 was a very, very stressful year. 
the first half of the year was spent uh, just bringing volume two down the pike. You know, you know what it's like. You've written many books. Finishing it up sometimes is harder than writing the whole damn book, right? So I was finishing up volume two. And during that process, I lost three good friends who had passed away. Very, very good friends. One was my best friend growing up. So that was stressful. <coughs> Excuse me. By starting July 1st, I'd say from July 1st right to October 1st, uh, George and I, my editor, I, I spent all day, every day, I bet you 80, 90 hours a week going through the processing of the book, the referencing of the book, the indexing of the book, you know, all that stuff to get it together. And it was just relentless. And finally, when we went to um, publish the book, that was almost, that was, uh, I won't say a nightmare. It wasn't that bad. It was extremely stressful dealing with the publisher. Um, a lot of things happened. They couldn't fit the book, for one. Then they said they couldn't do the index. And they were scrambling. I said, you know, okay, I'll read, I do the index. Well, I don't know why you can't do it. You did the first one. Uh, and I was really ticked off because I said, I, this is a big book, and I need a comprehensive index. So I think they were pretty embarrassed because, you know, because they're, they're subsidizing out to, uh, you know, all the Philippines and stuff. And they're, they're, I'm nothing against them. They're great people and stuff like that. But they had to send it back to the States to do the index. So finally they got that straightened away. Then they did something wrong me with volume one. It's just one thing after another. So I didn't realize how much stress I carried into me, carry, sorry, carried with me into 2012. And I have been receiving a lot of requests. When's Volume 3 going to come out? When's, I'm seeing, man, I'm just getting Volume 2 out. When's Volume 3 coming? And I'm thinking, well, I'm on a roll. I might as well just keep, keep it going, keep it going. Because I already had a lot of stuff drafted for Volume 3 because some of that was supposed to be in Volume 2. Some of it was originally supposed to be in Volume 1 when I thought this thing could be done in one volume. So I, I thought I'd just continue on, and I continued on with about a three-chapter storyline of the behind-the-scenes of Golds in World, Jim. And by the spring, I have never, ever, while writing anything, ever faltered or just spun out only paragraphs from the end of the chapters. And I thought, oh, my gosh, am I, I'm just fried, just fried on it. And... I, at the time, I had a couple of buddies having to come live with me for a, for a short time, and I thought I got to take a break. But I found I never could get back into it. I, I couldn't pull the trigger on getting back into the book, and I couldn't understand why. Because you know, I said I, I did it before. I've been doing it for the past ten years, and I'm not realizing that's probably why I was doing it for the past ten years. So over the next couple of years, I just could not get back to it and I started to work on other smaller projects but even a <coughs> excuse me um the very politically incorrect and politically controversial chapters dealing with uh raw food eating um I was trying to write some smaller stuff reviews for other people who are putting some books out some friends and I started writing some more reviews on equipment. I went back to making my own equipment. My focus, I ended up going back down into the gym more so. And I just realized, uh, thinking about it and trying to figure out why, what's going on. Well, I, I realized um, in the past two years, I've kind of had a semi-retired life. And I, I'm 55 years old in a couple few weeks. And I realized I like this semi-retired life. I, I said, I've been. I spent 20 years on two projects, 
during the 1990s, from the early 90s into the 2000s, I spent 10 years as the sole programmer of a huge software application that I had built and maintained. And it was stressful doing that, especially because I was losing my eyesight. And then when I had to leave that job because of my eyesight, I jumped right, not knowing, I jumped right into another 10-year project that would be Muscle, Smoke, and Mirrors. But at the time, that was just an article. And that thing just kept proliferating and proliferating, and that I lost all my eyesight. So I spent 20 years on two projects that were very stressful. I'm just thinking at this stage of the game, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to spend another 10 years on another project that is so life-engulfing. Like when I was writing that book, I was working on it almost every single day. So And knowing that, okay, i got to get it out, i got to get it out. I'm trying to promise deadlines. I can't keep the deadlines. Year after year is going by, so I can't do it. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do? So in the meantime, uh, I was talking with my IS guy, Tomas, and we're going to partner up and and re-releasing Volume 1 and 2 electronically. And with both books, the only criticism we got on those two books, the accolades have been great, the reviews and endorsements have been great, but few people have said their books are so big, and that's True, they're very big books, 562 pages and 728. <clears throat> so coming along with some of the new trends, we thought we would re-release electronically in smaller sections for smaller amounts of money. Um, it would be it, it, it would be easy reading, and blah, blah, blah. We had a bunch of reasons, but a bell went off in my head, and I thought, you know, the only way I can do Volume 3 is to do it in that format, to treat it as smaller projects. I have, like I said to you before, Bob, and we've, we've talked many times, I have data drafted for Volume 3 that's been out, that's been drafted and sitting here for five years or longer. And it could be sitting here another five years. I, I, I have to soon start getting, getting it out because what if something didn't happen to me, then there would be no Volume 3 at all. So I thought... Why don't I release electronically first this time in groups of related chapters in small little ebooks and go that route and so I can treat them as small little projects, leaving me time to go work on other smaller projects and like, like I mentioned, writing other materials for other other subjects like writing about nutrition and raw food. I like writing about some training stuff, and I like building equipment, and I can do that without worrying about it. I have to get up and get writing. I have to get up and work on this big book because this book is going to be huge. And it's going to, I've got to get out there before four or five years goes by. So that is what we're looking at right now. We're look, working on a press release to put out, you know, you just send around the industry and all that stuff, what's the fate of Volume 3 of Muscle, Smoke, and Mirrors, but... You're the first one uh, before the press release is even out that I'm actually talking about this publicly. Thanks a lot, Randy. I appreciate that. Oh, no problem. No problem. You're a serious guy in the game. I have a lot of respect for you. Yeah, I understand totally. I mean, you you had to work so hard on those gigantic masterpiece books. I mean, I just can't even imagine how much work it took to get those books out. The, the, The stress of them was more getting the material. For example, um, getting behind the scenes in goals. You're not going to get that in any written material. <laughs> I had, um, I had, I'd bet you nine guys trying to synchronize and line up nine guys for that two month period, three month period, all mostly all on the West Coast. So I'm staying up to midnight 
conversing with these guys, interviewing them, trying to mitigate, okay, who's being rational here, who's maybe exaggerating, who's just plain forgetting, right? And I, I respect all my guys, but I mean, you know, you get different stories and different versions. And we're talking about the, you know, behind the scenes and stuff like that. Guys like Sprague are pretty real. Ken Sprague, he's actually got, he kept documentation, and Mike Garris, too, had documentation. Mike Garris was uh, uh, close, close friends with uh, Joe Gold and was with Joe to the end and actually took ownership of World Gym after Joe had passed away. So, but this is what I was dealing with. The, the stress of trying to keep the synchronization going between all these individuals, <clears throat> juggling them, getting them on the phone. You know, getting questions answered and stuff like that, it just wore me down. Where I, I don't know how many hundreds or even, or even thousands of hours I spent on the phone since 2002. You know, you can read the material, but it's great to talk to the people to, and talk to them many times from many different angles. You know, I, got, I have to play the devil's advocate. I guess sometimes get people really mad at me. But because, look, I'm not trying to attack you. I'm trying to challenge your memory. Because often I, I there are a few I have a good memory, and there has been times where I would have bet my house that I had a date and a time correct, and I realized while doing volume two, the one thing that I thought I was so sure of, I wasn't I was wrong, and I think when I came at it from a different angle, I thought holy smokes all these years I, that was one of the markers in in time for me that I had it wrong. So and as good as these guys are, many of them do have really good memories. They're not always right. And so you have to, you can't conduct, you can conduct an interview, <clears throat> but for absolute accuracy and trying to get at a certain issue, you have to come at them several times. And even if you challenge them and push them and agitate them, but they, they'll, once they realize it, they start laughing, right? And they realize I'm just trying to get, get the truth. And they realized they could have swore that was the case or stuff like that. So sometimes that can wear on me. I don't like doing stuff like that. I don't like antagonizing people um, and things like that. But sometimes you, you do just to get to – and some some people just challenge me going back. Uh, some of the guys raked me over the coals before they even talked to me. And I mean, just rattled me to the core. It's the language so they came on some of these guys unbelievable. But they all became good friends and they all helped me a lot and they all liked the book, right? But I guess they get a lot of people who have wasted their time in the past, right? And they probably just thought, oh, who's this guy? You know, same thing. So they challenged see challenged me. What was Bob Green? Remember Bob Green he wrote for Iron Man and he was uh, you know, hung up with mm-hmm. inches and that? I can't yep. even come close to repeating what he was calling me on the line. I, I, you know, I ended up I He's the only guy on the phone I told to F off because I said, enough of this, <laughs> enough of this. I, I don't need this. And this is ridiculous what you're, what you're, what you're saying here. And we, we kept talking. He finally realized I was serious and I knew a fair bit. I didn't know. He was a smart guy and he was well read and he was helping me. But he, I, I knew some stuff that surprised him and that, and that, uh, that changed him. But a, a couple of conversations later, I said, like, Bob, what'd you do that for? I still, I got guys now who are looking for you, would like to talk to you, but I'm afraid to give them your number. Because you, what you're going to do, he said, no, he goes, that just, it was just timing because somebody had warned him that I was looking for information and I was just going to be leeching and stuff like that. So he was just kicking my tires too. Kim would kick my tires pretty damn good too, eh? but he ended up being a huge help to me. With the Arthur, Arthur Jones stuff. <laughs> oh man, he he wouldn't even let me speak. I hung up. He he just. Uh, it was at a time too when um, I just lost my sight, and I was really questioning whether to do this. And he challenged me, man, and he, 
I didn't know how to get a word in edgewise. I even called my buddy Jim Bryan and said, man, what's with him? I don't think the guy hates me. He's not, oh, no, he doesn't hate you. He's just kicking your tires. You see if you're going to come back. Well, it took me a year and a half to come back, but he was totally different. And he, he opened up so many doors for me. It was uh, He was just making sure I wasn't wasting this time. And I had it in huh. Chicago as well. You know, it was Terry Strand uh, who actually probably saved the book from going down. I was ready. Okay, I don't I, – I, I could do something else. I don't need to do this because I called – I was trying to get the guys in Chicago lined up. Bob, Bob Guy didn't – and such, Bob was really fun and difficult to speak to. He goes 45 miles, 50 miles an hour in three different directions at the same time. And trying to keep him aligned, get him on the phone. And Chicago was a big, uh, it was a big do back in the in the 50s and 60s, especially in weightlifting and especially because Guida came out of there, John Bailey came out of there, uh, Bill Sino, um, Aaron Johnson, Real Blair, especially uh, I was looking at the nutrition and Real Blair, right? So I called, I got Terry on the phone, and he starts kicking my tires, right? So I came out, holy shit. So everybody just wants to punch me out verbally before they give me any. But then he stopped. When, when I just answered the question, he stopped. He goes, okay, I'm going to line it all up. And he opened up Chicago to me. And he lined me up with so many guys that I got right in about. Guys who were with Johnson, Irvin Johnson, from the late 1940s and everything. And Terry's been a huge, uh, he's become a really good friend and really supportive of the project. But, you know, stuff, I, I don't have to put up with that so much now. Now that they, once the people saw that the first book came out and what I was doing, I wasn't trying to hunt anybody down. I was just trying to tell the story and tell the truth and they all liked it. So I don't have to endure so much of that. Uh, but it, it was still, it was still stressful. Trying to keep nine guys synchronized in interviewing them through 2012, and like I said, by the time the spring came and carrying the stress of 2011 over into it, I, I just burnt out. And like I said, I spent the, the last two years uh, probably drinking too much wine, and then doing other things. <laughs> you probably gave your mind a little break. Yeah, I, I, I did that. Um, I always keep busy doing other things but they just weren't work related you know i do training and stuff like that it keeps kept me busy i just wasn't really writing anything at all towards uh muscle smoke and mirrors but it's been biting on me again because i do have some really good material and i have probably a hundred thousand words drafted and i kept thinking you know this information shouldn't be wasted i had actually last year even thought you know if i don't write the book i should at least release it electronically somehow but after our, our, our strategy of re-releasing volumes one and two through small ebooks, that that just looks like it's going to be what we're going to do for volume three. So <clears throat> I'm hoping maybe early next year to have the first probably a neat prologue in the first couple of chapters of Arnold and Frankel's comebacks because I already got those chapters 90% drafted. I just wanted to add some more neat stuff. So I've accessed them some good information and put them out. And then we, I can go work on uh, uh, something else for a little bit and come back and then release some more. And I just keep feeding it out, feeding it out. Instead, instead of people waiting five, six years or whatever, and, uh, for, and you know, it's funny, it's 15 years passes before I even started the project in 2002. So, Randy, how long did it take you for each of the first two volumes? I mean, you know, how many years did it take you total for one and two? The process started in 2002 when I got a request from Sally Fallon of the Western A. Price Foundation to do an article on the diets of the bodybuilders. So I was already writing another article on uh, – remember Harvey Diamond's uh, Fit for Life back in the 1980s and mm -hmm. he was a, a vegan? 
I was writing an article yep. on his latest book in 2000 that came up, and I thought, okay, so I, I, I had to get that out of the way. And then I started uh, the project, the, the article, in 2002, and I you know, just started talking to my buddy Jim Bryan out of Florida, and he was getting me with some connections. And the, the big thing for me was Bill Pearl taking my call, cold. He's a wonderful man. He doesn't know me, anything, but he's giving me an hour of his time. He said, you use my name. Anybody, he opened up Larry Scott, and didn't, he said, "You make sure you tell me that Bill Pearl told you to come," and, and, and that helped. And same with, um, I was one of the last guys to interview Vic Boss, thanks to John Osmokia. John said, "You make sure you tell Vic that Osmo told you to call," and this is the weight that Osmo carries. So I called Vic Boss, and sure enough, just like Osmo said, Vic said, "You know, I get a lot of people calling me. You know, I'm not really into this and that." I said, "Yeah." Uh, Osmo had, had mentioned that, and he goes, Osmo told you to call me? I said, yeah, that was it. I was in. In fact, Vic called me two days later to carry on the conversation. He said to me, Randy, don't waste your article on the bodybuilders. They're not worth it. Do it for some other reputable bag. I was laughing. Eh? Cause, uh, and then I felt bad because uh, a few months went by, and I said to my one buddy, I said, I need to talk to Vic again. But you know what? I shouldn't really uh, – Lollygag or drag my feet because these guys are getting older and and they could you know they could actually pass away. So sure enough, I call him back and he had passed away. So I, I never had any more opportunity to uh, interview him. But so I think I may have been the last guy to uh, to interview him. But wow. anyways, uh, it, th- things were rolling along. Um, and then by 2007, I was into the 1990s. The book, the the, art, the article did get published in the, the winter edition of Wise Traditions magazine in 2004. But I had already been talked by, into it by Ron Kossoff of NSP Nutrition and Dr. Mara Di Pasquale. It's, it's funny. Mara already said, this is not an article, this is a book. I said, no, this is an article, Mara. He goes, no, no, this is going to be a book. And he, I, he blew me away to the confidence he had in me. He said, no, and you're the man to write it. He said, it's going to be a, it's going to be a number of books. I'm laughing, right? This is, a, this is an article. He's talking about a number of books. So <laughs> by 2004, when it got published as an article, it was uh, already planned to be a book. So I was smoking ahead there. I was really digging in hard. I had um, a lot of time to spend on it. And by 2007, three years later, I was into the 90s. I was, uh, I was actually communicating through email extensively with Jeff Everson. Uh, Jeff was another good guy who at first was the longest, most polite professional rejection I've ever got. But then he, he changed his mind and he came on board and he was a huge help and still is today. We were trying to sort out the MedRx. Quagmire. You know, I remember the the, the Matterx, the, the lawsuits going on with Conley, and then went into EAS, and that's where I was when I realized I can't do this in one volume. I, I, I've already way over uh, what's size wise. I was just I thought this is crazy. I'm not, and I'm not even near done. So I said to my editor George. George already knew it. He was just waiting for me to realize it myself. Right? That's how George is. He just lets me do my thing, and he knows I'll come around eventually. And um, we, that's when we decided I, we had to go back and make it to um, to uh, two volumes. So this was uh, this was the end of 2007, I believe. So I went back and looked at. I, I couldn't have planned it any better. Where I counted halfway back, it was right at the end of the 1960s. What a perfect break, right? It was just before the dawning of the fitness explosion, just before the real arrival of Arnold Schwarzenegger on the scene, pumping iron, Nautilus, all that stuff. So it was a perfect break. And like I said, I couldn't have planned it any better. So that ended up, so volume one came out June of 2008. So probably uh, like two, from two to 2002 to 2008, six, five and a half years. 
Actually, it was halfway through. It was six, it was six years for Volume 1. And now you got to remember, um, when I went back to going to Volume 2, I had planned to, okay, just one more volume. Wayne D'Amelia, who I had been talking to extensively, just laughed. He said, you're not going to do finish it in one more volume. Because there's no way. And I said, yeah, i got to get this out of the way. And realized suddenly, I'm going, oh, man, I can't finish this in two volumes. I had to cut it off because when I got into Arthur Jones, like a lot of the material I have now that's sitting for Volume 3, it was drafted to go into Volume 2 because Volume 2 was supposed to be the 70s and the 80s. But I had spent a lot of time on Arthur Jones. And Arthur's part was, Arthur's like a book in a book. And, and it is long. And I knew I'd take some critique over that. And I did because some people didn't, weren't interested. When you have a book that size with a good scope, you're going to get people who uh, like certain aspects and don't like other aspects of it, right? But I wanted this material in for Arthur. I thought he was a huge impact player. And this is good stuff. And I dug in even through court documentation, everything to get transcripts and stuff like that. So I had to bump a lot of material out of that volume two into volume three, and that was a lot of the 1980s material. And so volume two just naturally, I couldn't believe it actually surpassed volume one, and it was only the 1970s, where volume one covered a much broader spectrum of uh, material and decades, right? So volume two came out in November... Uh, November of 2011, and that's where we left off. I was telling you it was a very stressful year, and uh, even though I had a lot of material, and I thought, okay, I got a fair amount of material, I can just, you know, go like Tanat here and uh, pump it out. Maybe with any luck, this is how stupid I was thinking. I think with any luck, I might be able to get volume two at the very next year or so, which was ridiculous <laughs> to even think. That. But that's the way my mind was working at the time, and it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't working properly. I like fried it by about the spring of 2012. So you can see by by that time, it was, of spring of 2012, it was 10 full years I've been working on that pro, uh, project. And I was working on it almost every day, almost every day. Well, wow. there was nothing else for, that I was doing other than my training because, I mean, the training had to pay the bills, right? The books weren't really paid. Even though, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the books were very expensive. Um, it doesn't matter. Like, to, the truth is, the the books, the, the royalties have are approaching six digits. We're approaching a hundred thousand bucks for a bodybuilding book in this our industry. That's pretty good. But I spent fifty five thousand or more on the book, just on publish everything. Some people because well, how can you spend that much money? And when I start rattling it all off, they realize well, yeah, it's a lot of money. Like there's a lot of people who are better writers, but they have books in the closet because you know they don't have the money you want aren't willing to put the money into into the project but i I, that wasn't a problem for me i didn't care something just kept saying whatever it costs you know buying the books buying the magazines you know doing the the publications and all that stuff just put it out there so we they're selling that was the other thing um that wasn't very inspiring for me we thought volume two would blow volume one out of the water because it was the 1970s and a lot of people were um Lived, are still living live that era. It, but it, it didn't, really. Volume 1 still hung in there. And it was like, and a lot of the industry, the magazines are actually pretty good. Flex, sorry, uh, Muscle and Fitness, and obviously Jeff Everson's Planet Muscle and stuff. But the major websites didn't want to touch it. Uh, bodybuilding.com, getbig.com. They just, like, it, it, it was like the plague. Truly Huge is the only... Uh, um, Website that actually did an interview on me for a volume. It was like they didn't, they weren't interested. I thought, well, why do I want to spend my life writing a book? Why, why is that? And reading it, Randy. 
What, why do you think they, yeah. they didn't show interest? What's the reason? Uh, your guess is good as mine. Maybe they think I'm going to talk. I don't know. I don't want to even speculate, you know. But my question, why? Why aren't they interested in a book on the history, you know, even doing a review on it? Like, I mean, even um, uh, the Todds at the Fletcher Stark uh, Museum, they were all over Volume 1, and they were gracious in, in doing excerpts, and John Farrah gave me a 4,000-word review, but Volume 2, um, I've heard nothing. I don't even know if Terry's uh, – last year, Terry hadn't even read the book. So I'm, I was thinking, well, if they're not that interested, why bother? And that's where I was last year, thinking, you know what? Um, I actually told my editor, George, I'm not going to bother with Volume 3. That's where I was last year, thinking um, – if they're really not that interested, I can make more money. I can write, in, I can write books in, uh, in the industry and make money because people want to know about nutrition, they want to know about training, but they're not interested in their history. I can't twist their arms. There's a small I, – I, listen, the audience I do have, <clears throat> I am very, very appreciative for. And they're, they're the probably primary reason. They are the primary reason that I am going to finish it because they are so, they've been so gracious in their, um, their accolades and encouragement. And number two, I don't like leaving things hanging – but I was still thinking and willing to do so. But I, eventually I came around and said, you know, when I, when I came around a, a new way of uh, releasing it, as I mentioned, with smaller uh, smaller chunks, then it, I, I started thinking more seriously. Because like, there are things I do want to write about. But, again, to spend the amount of time if uh, aspects of the industry that you think would be interested in it are not interested in it, um, that took some more wind out of myself. That put gas on my 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 fried brain right so but i thought you know who cares i um it's my legacy to add the three the three books or i shouldn't even say four but uh i do want to finish them and i can't i will not even begin to say when the final book will be done i just know that chapters will be coming out because that's what stressed me out with the first book i kept saying oh, well i should be able to have it done by you know, 2005, and I put it up on my website, 2005, come and go. Oh, boy. Okay, maybe 2006. Boom, that's gone. And you, I think you start to aggravate people then that way. And I wasn't doing it on purpose. I really thought I could do it. But just trying to get the information takes time. Like I said, getting them line, people lined up in an interview or get, finding the material for for volume one, a lot of it was still, uh, it wasn't so much with interviews because most of the people were dead. I had to find the material. I had to search and purchase the material. Magazines going back to the 30s, books, and all, all, a lot of the old books and stuff like that. And it, it just took a lot more time and I kept erroneously posting completion dates and that stressed me out because I thought I got to get it done, I got to get it done and that wears on you. I'm not doing that this time. Is, I, all I can say yeah, is I want to do it. I'm going to put my best effort, and it'll get done when it gets done. But it'll be it's different well, all the time. It's going to be with, uh, like I said, it's going to be electronically first, followed by, you know, anybody who does buy all those chapters like that will be able to track it. And then when it's done, I'll I'll buy the books and just you know, tell people you send shipping and we'll send them the book. Right? They've already paid for it, so it's just a matter of sending them the the hard copy. But like I said, even if something was to I'm not getting any younger, so I mean, something was that happening where I couldn't finish the book. At least they have some something, some of the material out there, right? Randy, let's talk about something less stressful now, something that you enjoy right now, and give you give your brain a break. I know that you build your own equipment, <laughs> and uh, could you go over some of your best pieces that you've made, and any recent pieces of equipment that you've designed? 
Yeah, well, leave out the pieces that I've almost had kill my friends, but so those were years ago. But I've always been designing stuff. I've always liked um, monkeying around. In fact, I think I was one of the early guys to start putting lap machines on uh, power racks before they showed up, before you could see them advertised in the magazines. I'm sure people are always doing it, but I had never seen it before. Until I was doing, I did in the 80s, and then uh, they started showing up. And I was, I think, I was one of the early guys to take a a half power rack, make it a half power rack, and insert it into a Smith machine. So, because you, 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 if you have a power rack and a Smith machine, that takes up a lot of floor space, as you, as a trainer, know. So I thought, well, I cut the rack, made an open rack, and I inserted it right into the Smith machine, so that I had both, all in one footprint. And I had not seen that before until then they started showing up. I think in the 90s I started seeing those things. I, I did mine, I think, in the early 90s. So I was always doing little things like that and building machines. And I tried, the one time I tried to build a uh, – this goes back to the age when I was younger. I tried to build a um, a pack deck. And I had my, – my dad was a welder, and he welded up these uh, these pulleys and the irons. But I had the angles wrong, and the cables, the friction the friction was so harsh, it literally burnt the cables, and the cables snapped. And I touched them, I burnt myself. That's not the amount of heat that was generated from the friction. I thought, okay, back to the drawing board on that one. But coming up, by the <laughs> 1990s when I was – I had the money to start buying commercial-grade equipment. Like I started buying Hammer Strength. I started buying Pendulum. Then later I got Medex and blah, all that stuff. But I still like making my own. And I see some of the best ones that I made. My favorite one right now is the back rack, I call it. It's a deadlift machine that has standard deadlifting handles and wheelbarrow uh, grip as well, like a trap bar, because I always like trap bar deadlifting. And so it has that wheelbarrow lift, and you have a standard grip, and you can still go through your knees without even worrying about the bar hitching the knees. You can, you can turn around and go on a little platform and do it as an awesome row. It just pulls right into the lat. So it's a great row machine as well. So that one has gone through three renditions. It's been refurbished three times, and the latest was just about a month ago. And I'm really, really, really happy with it now, and I don't think I'll be doing anything else to it. I built an awesome power rack, too, with uh, back in 1996. So you got to remember, when I build my stuff, I can't see to write it down, so it's in my head. So i got to be in the shop when they do it. Because it's got to come out of my head, and I know the measurements and stuff like that. Of course, there's a lot of prayer going on. <laughs> I just go up once in a while. You do screw the pooch on it. But uh, the power rack was it was a one and a quarter inch holes drilled every one inch apart. So there was a it was a heavy duty rack, three sixteenth wall, two inch solid steel knurled chitting bar. It had a whole bunch of chitting stations, and it had two weight stacks on it. It was an open and a closed power rack with a 350-pound weight stack for cable rows and a 250-pound weight stack for that pull-downs. That was a cool machine. That When I moved to where I am now and had the room, I separated the stacks off, and we built a standalone system for the two two, uh, two weight stacks. But we had also just got fin- finished um, making a variable-resistance tricep machine. And it's i I got to give Tyler Hobson the credit. Like it's, it's kind of a knockoff of his... Um, the tricep uh, station of his multi, his pendulum multi station. I, I have his. I bought his first production model back in 1999, and I loved those. Some of the stations were really, really good. I still have that multi station, but I separated out the um, this tricep and added uh, another set of bearings on it and, and an easy bar to swivel. And uh, that piece I, I like quite a bit. And I have a couple more on the drawing boards. Uh, one's going to be a. I think I'm going to do a stainless steel. It's going to be a multi station. Um, 
exercise station where it's good for all ages, including the elderly, and just doing, doing steps, uh, assisting assistive squats, uh, assistive push-ups, that type of thing, and more advanced for high steps and regular dips and regular chin-ups and stuff like that. And so that one will be probably in the next couple of weeks. But right now, um, my welder doing some smaller projects, such as uh, I, I, um, he, I got this really nice piece of a uh, 20-inch stainless steel one and eighth inch uh, uh, rod. So the bar is 20 inches by one and eighth. It's a nice thickness in your hands, and it's beautifully knurled stainless steel. You know, for tries to push downs and stiff arm pulls, but I want to put instead of a bushing, I want to get a pillow block bearing, so that there's zero friction on it. So uh, he's working on that. He's also we've also I also like building these um, extended easy bars. If you can find the, the, the remember the old curling bars, the, remember back in power muscle builder, they had Arnold always uh, posing with the easy curl bar and stuff like that. They, but they're always the short bar, and people like doing close grip benching. And there's a lot of things you can do with that bar, and it works better when you have a, when the bar is longer. It extends out that it can fit in a power rack, but you can't find uh, mm-hmm. anybody who does that. I, I did find that Troy barbell does make a bar, such a bar. But in the meantime, I had been making them. And another really good bar that was out there by Jesse Hoagland, it was a pressing row bar. So it was like you could press a bar overhead without the bar hitting you in the head. Yeah, it was just like holding on to the barbell regular, but it was cut out in the middle and was counterbalanced around you. And you could press without hitting you in the noggin. And the same thing, you could do. it was great for bent rows. You can bend, you could row right through the knees. But Jesse had passed away, and I don't think you can find the bars anywhere, so I had been making some for a couple of trainers. And I, a little lighter than Jesse's because his were close, like 70 pounds empty, and so women can't use it, and even some of the beginner guys can't use it. So the, my bar is, you know, maybe 20 pounds, 20 pounds lighter and maybe uh, stainless. It looks pretty good, just a little bit, a little bit lighter. I really like that bar. So those are some of the things that um, I've been thinking around with. I have one that I do maybe want to market, and that's it's called Pec X. They are, they are push-up mm-hmm. bars, uh, and they're. I, I think they're much better than the perfect push-up. Um, these bars are unique. Even Dan Lurie, going back eight years when I started thinking around with them, piped in with his two cents worth. Because Dan, I think, uh, is on AAU on record doing 1,225, was it 1,665 push-ups in 90 minutes? Something like 1,225 dips in 90 minutes. So Dan, Dan liked doing push-ups like you would do on a set of parallel bars. With kind of a, so you have like a neutral grip, it kind of gets a little bit more shoulder flexion, so you get a little bit more shoulders involved there. But um, so I originally had this one bar. He said, "No, make it in the handles," because that's because he was right away thought about the way he liked doing push-ups. So I, I did, and these these push-up bars have a certain there's a certain thickness and a certain bend in them to create a certain angle on them where you can de-emphasize, not get rid of it, but de-emphasize the triceps when you're working for, uh, when you're doing the push-up where you're getting more chest action, you can de-emphasize the triceps, get more on the chest, you can de-emphasize the triceps when you're doing them like Dan Lurie does, neutral grip to get a little bit more shoulder, and then they can come together close and create an apex where you can do an advanced, very, really close grip that's easy on the wrist for uh, for triceps and, and pecs. So I, I really like these. They're, they're going through certain... Uh, variations and prototypes uh, to see what's m- most feasible to produce them. But I have a few guys who've seen them already who want them. As soon as you see them in town, they want them. I, I have to get them so that I can produce them at a reasonable cost and stuff like that. So that's what I've been working on see, in the past couple of years. I love doing that stuff because the projects 
are short and they're creative and they're rewarding and just seeing stuff manifest out in the into the factory when it comes from your head into reality. So again, that's what I've been spending probably most of my time in the past half year is really um if somebody wants to buy some custom equipment from you, do you have a website you could give out? I don't do it in a business fashion. I've been just doing it as favors lately. And that's why I don't know if I wanted when talking to my welder and said if we want to produce these things, you know, we'd have to find a way to say like we got to make several at a time to make it cost effective. So, cuz right oh. now I'm more or less just <clears throat> eating it on the prototypes, right? So, I mean, I can't keep doing that. Eventually, I had to make it so that I, I would make some money off of it. And like that uh, that Jesse Hogan press robot, when I bought it up here in Canada 12, 14 years ago, I, I paid 450 bucks for it secondhand. I think they were advertising. I think even Iron Man had a version. They're going for like 699 or something like that. But I, with the one we're making for, out of stainless, I could probably sell that for 400 bucks, right? I'd love to make a ton of money off it. Just, but you got to cover at least make sure you're not losing while you're making these things. So I haven't established all wow. that. Same with the uh same with the extended easy bars, the pack X the pack X are probably the first thing that um I try to see if I can just keep, make some and even if it's just a small amount that some guys want, some trainers want, but the pack X anybody can use them and they're awesome. You know, there's all sorts of different push up bars out there and I have some of them and they don't get used. The pack X, they get used. They get used. In fact, I had the older prototypes that some of the guys who uh, who are now training took them with them, right? And then I had other guys asking, to, they said they wanted the gym to buy them. I said, I can't, I can't sell them yet because I don't have them manufactured yet. So that's where I am on those. Right now, the next prototype is going to be made with uh, stainless and a three-quarter inch piece of rubber for grip. So it's going to be like absolutely industrial, heavy. It would last, you know, it's going to be made in Canada or the United States. I don't want to go offshore to that stuff. And it's going to be heavy duty. It'll last forever. That's what you want. You want to say made in North America, you know, a lifetime guarantee. You can throw them through a wall, right? That's the way you want and just have it in a gym. I don't want plastic, yeah. right? Everybody's, well, just get a mold and do it in plastic. It'll work. But, you know, you know what I mean? You're an old, old school guy. When you got something, oh, yeah. and you want some heft to it. You don't want plastic. We'll be back with more right after this. This segment brought to you by VitalNutritionStore.com. Did you know that more than 7 million Americans suffer from coronary heart disease, the most common form of heart disease? Regardless of your age or condition, adding Cardio for Life to your daily regime will dramatically improve your cardiovascular condition. Cardio for Life has been the top-selling Enlargenine product in the marketplace now for more than three years. It is also the top-selling product at VitalNutritionStore.com. Formulated by Dr. Harry Elwart, the best-selling author of Let's Stop the Number One Killer of Americans Today, Dr. Harry believes together we can prevent and reverse heart disease. Cardio for Life comes in three wonderful flavors, orange, peach, and grape, and is gluten-free, sugar-free, and sodium-free. Please see our complete line of natural products at vitalnutritionstore.com. That's V-I-T-A-L nutritionstore.com. Randy Roach shocked the world with the release of his first volume of Muscle Smoke and Mirrors several years ago. It was a masterpiece of over 500 pages with such in-depth research and detail that it was not only surprising, but shocking and mind-blowing. 
It was truly one of the best Iron Game history books ever written. He followed that with Volume 2, another epic book with over 700 pages of equal depth and detail. All serious Iron Game fans need to have these books. Please visit Randy's website at randyroach.ca. That's R-A-N-D-Y-R-O-A-C-H dot C-A. Listen to how Iron Game legend and the Iron Master editor, Osmo Kihaw, describes the book Supernatural Strength. Have you ever wondered how much real-world experience authors have when they write books about weight training? Who is that person behind the computer? What do they really know about the Iron Game? If you picked up this book, Supernatural Strength, you have definitely come to the right place. The author, Bob Whalen, has spent several decades in the Iron Game trenches training himself, competing and coaching in powerlifting, earning academic credentials too numerous to mention, and thousands of hours of training and instructing athletes and trainees of all levels at his Washington, D.C. gym since 1990. He's not only devoted his life to motivating and pushing people to heights they have never been to, but elevating the trainees understanding why certain methods work better than others. Bob is one of the most respected and revered trainers in the business today. This book is sure to surprise and amaze you at the same time. Order now at SupernaturalStrength.com. That's SupernaturalStrength.com. Don't you think it would be so much easier getting into shape if you had a personal coach? Just like all the celebrities do. Well, now you can. Bob Whalen of WebStrengthCoach.com wants to get you out of your rut and coach you to success. He's dedicated to helping you achieve your strength and fitness goals through your hard work and his expert guidance. Bob will help you with strength training, muscle building, fitness, nutrition, and motivation. He'll make sure you achieve your maximum physical potential. You can get one-on-one training with Bob through his website webstrengthcoach.com he will develop a personalized program tailored to your individual needs a program right for you bob will give you feedback after every workout this is old school fitness and nutrition no fads and no gimmicks bob will use proven natural techniques to make sure you are satisfied so visit webstrengthcoach.com today and let bob help you reach your best self webstrengthcoach.com Do you enjoy history without social engineering? Reading about our founding fathers? Economics from a capitalist perspective? Wisdom from modern patriots? Welcome to UncleSamBooks.com, where virtues like rugged individualism, hard work, and the American dream dominate. UncleSamBooks.com. Great books for homeschooling. UncleSamBooks.com. If you want to become as strong and muscular as possible with health in mind and without lowering yourself to using steroids, the best advice can be found in the classic strongman books of long ago. These are the best books ever written on the subjects of strength training, weightlifting, strongman training, iron game history, and old-time physical culture. Many of them can still be found at physicalculturebooks.com. There you will find good, Honest, time-tested wisdom from the great old-time strongmen to maximize your natural muscular and strength potential. Please visit physicalculturebooks.com. Listen to Ken Manny, head strength and conditioning coach at Michigan State University, describe the book Iron Nation. A masterpiece text on some of the most intriguing and compelling personal stories, iron game history, and gut-wrenching training routines ever put to paper. 
If you truly love hard training without all the frills of pomp and circumstance so common today, you will love Iron Nation. Written by lifters for lifters. If you love weight training, you will love Iron Nation. Order now at ironnation.com. That's I R O N nation.com. If you would like to promote your business on MindForce Radio, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know if you are interested in a 30- or 60-second voice commercial or a banner website ad. Please contact Bob using the contact information provided on MindForceRadio.com. You're listening to Natural Strength Night on MindForce Radio. Let's switch gears here to nutrition, Randy. I know you're an expert on nutrition. You're also a historian of it as well as it pertains to the iron game. Can you share any thoughts of your uh, bodybuilding nutrition plan? I'm not an expert on nutrition. I'm a student of nutrition because every time I think I know it all, I'm humbled that I don't know it all. And it's always been okay. I've I've studied nutrition going back to the uh, 1970s, and that's one of the main reasons I went back to school because I wanted to understand the chemistry behind what I was reading. Uh, but I've, I've done many things. I have a double whammy with me. Um, I didn't always do the nutrition changes based on bodybuilding. Often it was uh, driven by uh, to halt my eyesight loss. I had Stevens Johnson syndrome in 1961. That's uh, destroyed my – it's a fatal, often fatal um, attack of the dermis, the skin, and mucous membranes, and inevitably – affects the eyes, and so I lost my left eye, and I, that's why I went blind from that. But the process of going blind had begun back in the in the 70s, and I was that's often why I would change and read about new, different things about nutrition. I was always interested in building muscle, but I, there are times that I, I the, the building muscle took a second seat, especially when I'm in my vegetarian days. <laughs> it took a big back seat for four and a half years, but I wanted I tried it, but I've tried so many different things where I uh, even with supplementation and stuff like that, where I've, I ended up just being a whole natural food guy. I, the supplements, I'm, I'm, I don't poo-poo all supplements, but the vast majority of bodybuilding supplements I do. I, have, I will look at supplements that are made in the alternative medicine field where the intent behind the creation is much more honorable, and they put much more research into what they're doing. But there's nothing out there in a pill or powder outside of steroids that are going to build your muscle better than whole natural foods, and in my opinion, raw. And I have come to the point where I eat all, much of my diet is raw in terms of raw meat and, and stuff like that. And I think anybody who's consistent in their weight training, who's consistent in nutrition and willing to, and has the physiology and biochemistry that they can and digest and assimilate the food because some people you try to force feed, you can't do it. It's not healthy, and it ends up just coming out the other end. When you can assimilate that food and you're consistent, you're going you're gonna to grow. You're going to grow. And you, 
there are so many constituents in foods that we don't even know yet, and we can't identify them and try to put them all in a powder and a pill and take this, and it's going to build your muscles. And, you know, it goes back to the weeder days. I was so, you know, hooked into the advertisement. I was back in 1972. As a kid, I, I literally stole a can of Joe Weeder's protein powder that was in the in the the Zeller store, they're thinking, this is the ticket, right? Yeah, it tasted like awful. I was like, geez. I, I thought, this is brutal tasting. Not knowing it was a shit, right? So, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> but we all went through that. You know, through the 80s, the supplements really took off in the 80s, and especially with Dirk Pearson and Sandy Shaw's Life Extension, where they were really cranking up the dosages. And uh, I wrote in, like, in volume one and two, uh, the certain supplement tiers, that the industry went through, and there's, there'll be another tier or two in, um, in in volume three. But for me, it just like I used to take the protein powders, and they're part of my diet, and I used to sell them. But I gave them up thinking. When I learned more about them, I think many of them are degenerative, long term. Uh, and I have just myself, I promote, and they ask me what I do. I eat whole natural foods, and I eat as much raw as um, I can. Don't you have a butcher you go to for your meat, and you, you have a special place you go to to get your uh, fruits and vegetables? Yeah, you have to be a pretty good steward of your diet. Like, I mean, uh, typical supermarket meats from, cath- you know, CAFOs, you know, confined animal feeding operations. You want to stay away from them. Uh, like, you got to appreciate your food. You have to have, you know, grad- this is getting a little bit more to the esoteric side or whatever, but the, the dynamics and the energetics of food and your rapport with the food, I think, has a huge importance. And typical supermarket food, like I said, the intent behind much of that food is simply profit. It is not well-being. When you go to organic or biodynamic farms, the intent behind their food is dramatically different. And there's a dramatic difference in the energetics of the food. And that's what you want. And again, also not to mention far less chemicals. And definitely don't want genetically modified or irradiated with radiation. See, most people, people don't even know what cold pasteurization is. It's this food subjected to radiation. But mm-hmm. we're dealing with um, very powerful, powerful transnational corporations that have such lobby power that they can change labeling laws and get away with anything. People don't know what they're eating. And most people won't need it if they knew the truth. They wouldn't need it at all if they knew the truth. So they spend millions of dollars uh, obfuscating the truth, just you know, disguising and hiding the truth. So the people are eating um, garbage. Most of the people are eating garbage. Right. You go to this, uh, pulling out of the supermarket it's all processed food and it's all processed food pieces and that's my issue with supplements and processed food is that they're pieces they're pieces of food that are separated from their cofactors and synergists that work together to process and assimilate that food into your body and if you're missing those cofactors and synergists your body has to leach off its own resources over long term that is degenerative I believe steroids work the same way they hijack your physiology and they force it to run at a biochemical level it wasn't born to run and that's going to take its toll because your body is leaching off its own resources to crank up to to, to match that anabolic drive by the, by the hormone, right? So it just takes mm-hmm. a while. And, but the people then later don't know what happened. What happened? Why, why have arthritis? Why, why are my muscles tearing off from the, from the, right from the tendon and stuff? Well, because you weakened and weakened and weakened over time without even knowing it. It amazes me, though, for, for any person that has achieved as much as you, but it, it amazes me that you did it without eyesight. I mean, how in the hell did you write those books, design equipment, 
and train people, because I know you also do personal training, uh, how do you do it? You know, um, when I released Volume 2, and I went back and I, I could speed listen to, I can listen to books now 20 times faster than I could ever physically read them with a magnifying glass. And I listened, because my brother kept saying to me, you know, you got a lot of material in that first book. And Timmy said, well, no, it's just stuff <laughs> that needs to be there. And when I read through it again, I thought, holy smacks, I wouldn't want to have to write that again. Did I write that? I said, where did I get that material? It just seemed, it seemed overwhelming me. And I thought, you know, that was a lot of work. And it was extremely frustrated, frustrating doing it. <clears throat> it was frustrating enough when I was doing it through magnifying glasses and uh, closed-circuit TVs where I put my book on a, on a tray and come up. But when the site went, that just threw me for a huge deal. I was really – I was throwing books around, and I was just – you know, I, it wasn't the smooth transition like all – I'll do it. I'm, you know, I'm here. I come to save the day. It was like, man, I, I, I'm done. You know, it was like, I, I'm not gonna do this. But I'm thinking, there's something inside me keeps saying, you keep going. You can do it. But I mean, it's like I had so many good people around me, my family and my friends. I had people just come stepping forward, even in the industry, reading to me over the phone. Guys reading to me over the phone, right? And uh, people reading to me here, and then I said I have scanning material and, and, and stuff. It was really, but the training was easy because I have been visually impaired for many, many years, where I haven't been able to see myself in a mirror for a long time. So I have a good proprioception. Uh, basically, I don't have to see myself. Training was different to other people because I was starting to question myself as a trainer as my eyesight diminished because I was missing too many things. But when I lost my sight, and I thought, what am I going to do now? I said, I'm going to have to do hands-on. I said, you know, I don't know how the ladies are going to like this, but I realized I could tell way more now with hands-on than I could as a visually impaired person. Ideally, the best would be to have sights and, sight and hands-on. But the people liked it because they knew I was paying attention to them. I'm not just sitting there counting stuff. I'm literally feeling them. So I'm pointing, put my finger right in the muscle. Here's where you work. And I, I usually have one hand on the lower back because I can always want to see where their lower back is, right? So that yeah. came pretty quickly, and that wasn't too bad. I took a beating down the gym, and I still do. If I don't use my cane, I'm always smacking my shins and my knees and, and stuff. But, you know, that's just par for the course. But the book was challenging and very frustrating because I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? I could be sitting there knowing the answers two inches from me on the desk in a book, but nobody's here. i got to wait till somebody comes over, opens the book, and, um, and uh, reads it to me. Read, so... Uh, now I will just try to, I, I remember all my books by feel just about, and I can almost guess what book I have in my hand, then I can go and scan a page and they'll tell me if I got the right one. And on <laughs> certain days, I had a, I, my vision will fluctuate from nothing to some days where I can see it um, on, a, on a closed circuit TV, just enough to get a barely make out a page number, so if I have to, but it's very stressful because it's just starts, it's not, it's a real strain and uh, it's very tough to to do it, but I have ways, but usually now I have so many people coming and going, I can say, okay, uh, look for this book for me, or where's this, that. It's still, I still just love to see, just give you my sight just for a short time, and you just bang, 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 you just do anything, but... No, for some reason it has to be this way, and so I've got my procedures and processes 
to to do it, but uh, it was tough. And like I said, I was ready to pack it. And remember, I told you when I lost it, I had two tough interviews. One with Kim Kim Wood. Uh, Bob Green came later, but uh, Kim Wood, and then uh, um, Terry Strand in Chicago, where I thought, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm done. I remember Kim Wood. He said to me. Who the hell do you think you are? You're just a boy scout with a pocket knife trying to climb Mount Everest. And I thought, yeah, who the hell do I think I am? I'm trying to write this thing. Maybe I don't need to write it. But, <laughs> well, I don't need this, right? I mean, uh, he's right, you know. And uh, but like I said, the year when I called him back, he was just uh, yeah, he was funny. He goes, he goes, yeah, I remember who you are. I still think you're wasting your time, but I'll help you. And he did. <laughs> he we would talk for hours and. Um, like I said, he opened doors for me that otherwise I couldn't get the connection unless he he gave the go ahead and he gave the go ahead. And he, and he liked, in his own ways, like I mean, he liked I think he liked the books. So, but that was a close call. I was I was really close. Terry, and I guess you could thank him for saving it because I even after he was giving me a hard time, he he just stopped. It was just like okay, he just stopped. I thought I'm at the point. Okay, here I go again. And he he did question me. I was pretty tired about some things, and he just stopped. He said. It just like something changed his gears, and he just said, "Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna line up this. I'm gonna get a Bob, and I'm gonna line up these other guys." And he did exactly that. And I thought, like I said, when he opened up Chicago, and I realized, "Oh my God, I'm in. I'm in. I got all these guys, Irvin Johnson people, and stuff like that." And that's okay. I made me, you know, okay, the big sock. Here you got here. Here he is. Keep going. Keep going. And so I just kept going. So it's like when you wow. look, when I look back now, I think, yeah, you know, maybe I wouldn't have done it, but at the time, like. Uh, it's just life. Everybody has their issues to deal with, and at the runtime, you just deal with them. I'm sure you've had many. Yeah, but you look back now, you could write a good story on certain things. But at the time, you just don't think about that. You just process what life has thrown in front of you, right? And you just keep going. It might have motivated you even more because I, I can't imagine you could have done a better job if you had sight. I don't – I always think, yeah, I could have because there's so much more material I could have plowed to so much faster. And I would have read – I'm a ferocious reader and i got a good memory. It's not like it was when I was younger. It was almost photographic when I was younger. Not quite, but I could have plowed through the magazines. There were so many magazines. I would have, I would have gone through them all. I would have gone through them all. And you know what? I would probably more have been more enthused too. Um, even with volume three, had I had the site, because I, again, I'm, I, I'm asking, do these guys even want to read it? Uh, they interest it? Like, I mean, I got better things to do. This is not easy for me to do this way. I, I mean, at least, uh, if I could see, I would, I wouldn't mind looking through all those magazines from the eighties and nineties again. I get a kick out of it, but I can't. So I have to be selective what I'm, what I have, go through my books. Fortunately, I was buying books from the, from the late 1970s onwards. And I have the vast majority of them, so I can go through it. And I remember a lot of them, I mean, even stuff on nutrition. I was reading from the standard nutrition textbooks at the time to, you know, the peripheral nutrition. Because the 1980s was a huge paradigm shift in nutrition. That's when the lipid hypothesis came to a head. And everybody changed. That's finally the impacted bodybuilding. And I got all the books where they changed. They whole changed the whole dietary philosophy from uh, low carb to low fat. And it was politically driven from the from from on high, and it could finally crack through the bodybuilding barriers that they held that off for quite some some time. So I have, you know, Robert Haas came out with Eat to Win, Eat to Succeed. These are all carbohydrate-based diets now, and the fat was the demon, cholesterol was the demon. It's all bullshit, right? 
So, mm-hmm. but at the time, I believed it and swallowed it all, you know. But uh, I kept I kept all those books, fortunately. But like I said, if I had eyesight, I, I'd just get a kick out of just plowing through and reading, reading, reading. And that's what I would have done had I kept my sight. I would have read many more of the magazines right through and and had that ability to do so. Where I just didn't have that ability. Now with scanners and high speed listening, I can go through books very fast i can read like just a couple weekends ago i went to i read through three books and i get about three or four days right where that would have taken me weeks and weeks before with a 15 times magnifier i would have to read see john run you ever read through a see look through a 15 times magnifier it's like john runs fast then the first time i listened to it uh verbally 14 years ago when I first got the software to try it, I just shot right out of my chair and said, what the hell was that? I can't listen to that. I was so used to processing information to see John run that as soon as somebody read it to me fast, too fast, I couldn't cope with it. But now I can listen to, to books at a speed that nobody standing beside me can understand it. Now, if they run in front of the screen and watch the red thing go with it, they can, they can follow the text then, but they can't understand the, what the, what's being said on my computer because of how fast I can listen to it. But I can understand it easily. Because you get used to it, right? But I, like I said, <laughs> yeah. I freaked out the first time. I shot right in my chair. I said, "What the hell? I can't, I can't do this." You know. But slowly, now I can just sit back and read, 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 read. You know, I can just read, read anything that has have electronically. Yeah, I, I talk to you a lot, and uh, you know, sometimes I forget unless you bring it up. I mean, I'll go times, I'll, I'll go you know, months and forget that you're that you don't have sight, and then then it's like, yeah, oh you yeah, were, you, might, you, you were a godsend. In the first volume, your website was one of the best. And that's why I wish we oh, would have hooked you. up because we never met to after it was out. But I was on your website all the time because you're one of the few that had material, good material from way back electronically. Tim Fogarty at Muscle Memory had a lot of material. And a gentleman over at the SandownMuseum.com, I thought these guys should be rewarded for the work that they put in to create these websites, all this ancient information on physical culture that became bodybuilding that I don't know if people really can appreciate, should appreciate. But uh, I was on your website all the time. So I, w- I wish we yeah, would have hooked up even more because it was more information I would have got from you at the, from that. Yeah, you wrote something real nice about naturalstrength.com in the first volume, so I really appreciate that. Right in the preface. Yeah. That's another thing we're but, going to do. Uh, that, as you just reminded me, Bob, that um, we're also releasing with volumes one and two and three uh, some pod, some commentary podcasts, and we're also going to have them out in ver- audibly, audibly. What's the word I'm looking for here? Audibly, verbally. Uh-huh. You know, so we got. I have a girl that's going to read them, and she was just reading. It's funny we we're, were talking about that. She was just over here today reading the preface and going over the names, and she said Bob Whelan. I said, I've got to be talking to Bob tonight. You know, because he was reading Natural Strength, you know, she was your website and stuff like that. So she was, she's going to read, and we're going to record it. And I got a really good uh, broadcasting microphone, so we're going to make them available as uh, voice books, whatever you call them, too. I got to make myself more visible. Um, I've been behind the scenes and I'm flying below the radar of social media, just because I don't know, kind of instrumental. Never try to oversell yourself. I, I don't, I don't go on the boards, anyways. There's a lot of fighting on there, and then you just get belligerent people on. Uh, I don't want to hide behind any handles. I'm Randy Roach, and that's how I'll present myself out in public, not like some pseudo name and hiding behind a pen or something like that. So, but I do have to get more visible, and I get a lot of questions, uh, you know, people about the book and on nutrition and stuff like that. So I thought maybe I should do a forum, 
and stuff. For me, again, this eyesight stuff on getting around, doing a blog. Some of the stuff is not uh, 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 speech-friendly. My software uh, reads websites, but some websites aren't friendly that way. For example, even using Skype. It's very difficult mm-hmm. for me using my speech software. To, to, other than you got to remember memorize so many keystrokes. Every software has its own keystrokes. I'm, I don't know how many stupid keystrokes I got to have in memory, but some softwares do not are not hooked up very well for keystrokes, and that makes it very very difficult. But that's probably one of the reasons I, I've not, I have not personally ever been on anybody's Facebook or ever twitted a, a single twit in my life. But I got to start <laughs> doing this. I said if the mask can hook it up to. Uh, so it comes through the email, and I can respond to it. It automatically goes to a post. Um, that would be fine. But I want to post more stuff, like the reviews I sent you on the two bars, uh, the, the other the other people, the other equipment I was reviewing that we hadn't talked about yet. Uh, Tom Tom uh, Barton's um, Mag bars and Tim Fitzpatrick's uh, Neutral Grip bars. Like I wrote reviews, a nice just you know short reviews. Uh, I posted them on my. My blog, and I wrote another article on training on sixes, another thing that I like doing, six, something I call sixes. So I usually get somebody else to post them for me because, I, again, my software isn't really friendly for me to get around doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I just got those reviews from you a couple of days ago, so I'm going to put them on natural strength. I like these and, guys uh, because they're Americans, and they produce in the United States. They make those bars in the United States. I like that, and they're, the mag bars uh, are outstanding pull-down bars. They, you know, they're just – I've never worked with any bars like that. And Tim Fitzpatrick's got these high, high-quality neutral grip barbells, 45-pound neutral grip barbells uh, that are angle grip and neutral grip. And, if, you know, some, some people, as they're getting on with shoulder issues, that they're, they're great bars, high-quality stuff. And I like the fact, like I said, that they're – they're still made in the USA, and so even though I'm Canadian, I don't care whether it's Canada or the United States, at least it's not being shipped out offshore and being made for peanuts, right? And the quality is usually compromised. Right. And that. So I, I think people should uh, support them, these guys, and look at their equipment seriously. The, the mag bars are like uh, they're they're. I thought I had tried all the pull down bars, and I was humbled when I tried the the mag pull down bars. There's seven of them, and they're they're great grips. They're like a Palm grip. It's like jumping up on rafters and grabbing rafters and doing uh, doing chins and stuff. So those bars are, are really good. Yeah, I think we get time for one more question, Randy. Okay. Tell us how your life has changed after writing Muscle, Smoke, and Mirror. Well, um, it's easier to get cooperation uh, with some people. For like, for example, doing it's a lot easier getting interviews for Volume Three than it was for Volume One because now I, they they know who I am. Or if they don't, they can go to the website and see that, okay, I, I am serious. I've written the books. I'm not wasting their time. Or and the, and the people now, I think, are comfortable with me. Because I think at the beginning, they were like, who the hell is this guy? He's just two years gone by, and he's still nagging at me for these questions. I think people were starting to get a little nervous <laughs> as to what I was doing, right, trying to get the underbelly of the industry. And, I, and they, when they, when they read, finally read Volume 1. Uh, and it saw the tone that no, I'm not after. I'm not on a witch hunt, right? I'm just trying to. T- I'm trying to tell the truth. Like my buddy Steve Spira, I think I mentioned the to this. He said, "I like what you're doing. You're diving down deep in this industry without sinking the ship, right?" So it's they they were much more relaxed. So now, like more people are more inclined to uh, to want to interview because they do like the books and they want to be part of it. And again, I had never dreamed I would ever be on the radio in my life. I, I would have laughed at you. If you would have even said I'm going to be on television, I would have just just walked away, right? So now I've done radio. I've been on television and stuff. And, uh, you know, I would, I would have never done that with, if it wasn't for the books. 
but it's kind of funny. The books are being written all over the world, and I, I, I just I hardly ever leave my house. <laughs> I've been asked to offered to be flown down to do the, the, the seminars and all that stuff, and uh, uh, no thanks. You know, I just spin in my little chair here in my living room, go downstairs. I got my own little world here. I don't I don't leave it. You know, but it, my world could probably be a lot more robust if I had eyesight or wanted to do travel more. But I, I just don't like traveling. So, well, Randy, let me just tell you, I'm, your books aren't just books. They're, they're masterpieces. Like I told you before I went on, uh, on the recording here, that right before, you know, I talked to you tonight, I spent about an hour on the phone with Osmo, you know, yeah. and when we were talking about you and your books, and, and we both said, I mean, your books are the best high-quality books um, ever. I mean, when, when that first book came out, I was shocked. Because I've known you a long time, and when I when I heard you were doing a book, and you know, I, I thought, okay, he's doing a book, you know. When I saw the book, I was like, holy shit! Okay, that book <sighs> blew my mind. And and Osmo said the same thing. It wasn't like I think the average reaction to people when they got your book was, holy shit! Because the book is so thorough. So it's just incredible amount of research, and it's just, you know, it's just unbelievable how you did it, and especially how you did it without eyesight. It's just phenomenal. Well, you know why it's so meticulous? It's because of guys like you. I knew you were a historian with your website. I knew uh, Osmo, and I had talked with him often, and I knew uh, I had a lot of respect for his knowledge and, and, and the fact he had Iron Master, guys like Joe Rourke, guys like the Todds. That I said, I, I'm not writing to a bunch of 16-year-old kids that I can just bullshit my way through. These guys will take me apart. So I wrote it out of fear from you guys. Basically, well, I said, I have to get it right. Or the, these guys are just going to pick it apart because I know the industry can be cruel that way, right? So it was it's funny because it was more out of fear of you guys who had knowledge historically that I was just trying to be so meticulous and coming at, we had discussed before, interviews, just not just interviewing guys once, but five, six, ten times from different angles, playing the devil. I then began, began playing the devil's advocate and started pissing other people off. You know, I, I figured, what, well, geez, they can do it to me, I can do it back too, right? But as I was saying, it was more so to get the information accurate. It wasn't to be rude to them. It was to say, to get them to, to jar their memories because of several times that they were so so convinced they were had it marked, and they realized, and they start laughing that they did not have it. They 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 did not have it accurate in their memory. So it was because of you guys that I did. I remember I, I was with John with John Osmo Kiha. I was so apprehensive. I had not heard anything from him, and I wanted to talk to him, but I was afraid that he didn't like the first book. I thought, but I have to ask him a question, right? So I tend to, and this is only about a year and a half ago that I, I, I emailed him and said, John, it's Randy, and, and I had to ask him about, I forget what I had to ask him, but I said, I don't know if you got the first book, you liked it. And he sent me the most amazing email and review that, I, he, like I said, he made my year. Uh, he did like the book, he liked it a lot. He just had not got a chance to get back to me, and he, and he 
I felt bad because he, he had to go buy volume two. I would have gladly sent him volume two, but I just, because that's the way you think, you get paranoid. You think they didn't like it, so you don't want to rattle their chain, you know, their cage anymore. But he gave me the most incredible review and told me how, how, how much he liked it and how, how, how accurate he thought it was and stuff like that. So it just made me feel so good. And guys, like, he said, anything you need for volume three, just, let me know, and I thought, oh, God, thank you. <laughs> that was a big relief because I, I, I have a lot of respect for you guys out there because I was without your, the works of you guys, uh, the historians, I couldn't have done the books. I, I couldn't have done it, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a reciprocation here. It's a double whammy. Like it's a, we both were worked off each other. Hey, Randy, what, what is your book website address? Uh, there's musclesmokeandmirrors.com, but just randyroach.ca takes you right there. It's a lot easier to remember, okay. randyroach.ca. And, Randy, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show. You're, you're one of the best interviews I've had, and you're a wealth of information. So thanks again for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me on, Bob. Coming up next is our regular U.K. correspondent, Ted Harrison. Ted has some great information, as always, this time on the important connection that physical culture and Iron Game history has to your training. Ted runs Vital Exercise, one of the best high-intensity training facilities in the UK. If you live anywhere near Colchester in the UK, you need to look up Ted for some great training. For more information, go to vitalexercise.com. That's V-I-T-A-L exercise.com. And Ted, thanks again for being on the show. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me on the show again. Um, I wanted to just make a, a short talk about um, making a connection um, to Iron Game history by reading books or uh, reading books about the legends of, of strength training or maybe physically visiting gyms and other places of interest within the Iron Game. Um, I didn't realize that Randy Roach was actually going to be on the show until... Uh, Bob told me I'd already started this talk, so that kind of put me on the back foot a little bit because, obviously, how can you speak on the same subject as uh, as uh, Randy Roach? It's very difficult, but uh, I was having quite a lot of difficulty in coming up with something to say because of that. But um, I, I was maybe you know writing and writing for a few hours, and then Lorraine, my partner, came in and said, you know, why are you struggling so much with this? She just said, you know, just just speak from the heart and just speak from uh, from your experience. So that's what I decided to do, and it really came down to it. I don't I don't know why certain names affect you know the, the true uh, strength trainer in the way they do. Names like Steve Reeves or John Grimmick, Bill Pearl, Arthur Saxon, you know Eugene Sando. Why do these people affect us? in a way that's different than names like Phil Heath or Kai Green, you know, or any of the modern-day bodybuilders. These, the names like Steve Reeves and John Grimmick are soaked in so much history, and uh, we're really kind of standing on their, on their shoulders. They support us with what they did all those years before. The struggles that they went through, these old-timers in... in uh, develop, developing new training techniques and um, new nutritional protocols and the hardships they had to suffer. I think really you, 
uh, we're aware of that and the amazing results they got because of their efforts. We're aware of that and that is what, um, when we think about these guys and we see their pictures, it's so inspiring. Um, so I think it's a very good idea to read up on these guys. I mean, I, I guess that most of the people that listen to this show are pretty well versed in their Iron Game history. But if you're not, I'm, uh, if you haven't done that, then I advise you to do that because I think going into the past, for one reason, it, and reading about it, it can protect you a lot from the bullshit that exists in the present and undoubtedly will in the future. When you're reading about the, 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 the crazy new supplements and the crazy training regimes that are being recommended nowadays, when, when you've got a, a good grounding in iron game history and the kind of training and practices that the old time was used to, to get the kind of development they did, you can see through this this advertising that really, you know, it, it, a lot of it is um, a, a coverage for for massive pharmaceutical advantages these people, some people in this game have, and uh, you can look back and think, well, it's not necessary um, to to go that way. I don't need to go that way, and you can take a more natural and healthy approach and still maintain and achieve your goals. I think reading about Iron Game history enriches you spiritually. It kind of lifts you out of the gym um, and because it's quite a lonely existence in the gym sometimes. It's just you and the weights and maybe the mirror. And it gives you a fresh perspective. It gives you a sense of belonging to something with a vast and noble heritage. You know, the Iron Game in the past is chock full of an amazing array of characters, you know, um, some flawed for sure, I mean, who isn't flawed, but they're always inspiring and heroic in their own way, and they can be tremendously motivating to keeping your training on track. And, you know, some, I, want to, I don't, don't want to, to, to just lift weights, you know, I want to be part of this thing, I want to feel a part of it. And in that vein, some people visit cathedrals and museums where they want to be a part of history. What I did myself, I went to, to America and I, I visited and trained in Vince's Gym and World Gym and Gold's Gym and I went to Muscle Beach. You know, I wanted to, um, I wanted to soak it up, to absorb it, absorb my surroundings and come away somehow different and enriched and I did, you know. My hands have encircled the same bars and equipment as Dave Draper, Larry Scott, Don Howarth, Mike Mentzer, Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, that's a part of me now. Just from that visit, there's a couple of visits actually I made to America. That's a part of me now. Um, and, you know, unlike most things in life, that can never be taken away. That's mine. And that makes me feel very, very uh, proud and, and tremendously connected to, to the Iron Game. I imagine much the way the, uh, our own Bob Whalen feels when he went to to visit um, John Grimmick, you know, in York, Pennsylvania. He actually met John Grimmick. I mean, that's something that's going to be forever with him and tremendously inspiring. Uh, and the same thing can happen. You don't have to travel for this. The same thing can happen when um, you just read about it. You know, when you allow yourself to be transported back in time by reading something like Randy Roach's uh, Muscle Smoke and Mirrors, um, you can get that same feeling, that connection, that enriched feeling that uh, is more than just lifting weights. Um, I mean, you know, if you doubt me, just think of all the people whose lives have been changed by reading a book. So it can happen. 
So, you know, if you haven't done so already, read up on your iron game history. I think it's very important. Or if there's a gym or a place of interest connected to strength training you want to visit, uh, or an iron game author or trainer you want to converse with, email or call, you know, my advice is go ahead. Because training in a gym that you always wanted to can motivate you for the rest of your training career or speaking to a person you admire will have the same effect. You know, tremendously positive. And the memories will last a lifetime. They're yours. They're not like a piece of jewelry or, or, a, um, or, or something that can be taken away. This is it's spiritual. It stays with you. A couple of recommendations for reading. Obviously, Randy Roach's two-volume set, Muscle, Smoke and Mirrors. I mean, that is just superb. Um, and maybe you should visit uh, Physical Culture Books too because that has a massive selection of Iron Game history books, a lot of specific training advice in those books, and a lot of history as well. So, okay, thanks very much for having me on the show again, Bob. Sure, sorry if this is a bit of a short one, but... Um, uh, hopefully I'll be talking to you again soon. Okay, well, thanks. Bye. Don't be a flamingo. You have to do your squat. Don't be a flamingo. Real lifters work their legs. Hey, Bob. This is Jean Wells from Hope Sound, Florida. The gym I train in is actually our condo association gym, and we all get together on a daily basis and do our workouts there. And it is filled with flamingos. I've never seen anyone squat. Most of the guys here have toothpick legs. Your show is great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Don't be a flamingo, you have to do your squat. Don't be a flamingo, real lifters work their legs. That's going to do it for this edition of Natural Strength Night on MindForceRadio.com. Please bookmark that website, MindForceRadio.com. Bob is always looking for new writers for NaturalStrength.com who are old school, hardcore, write with passion, and have a strong anti-steroid stance. He also wants your training questions so they can be answered on the show. Please send your articles and training questions to Bob at MindForceRadio at Earthlink.net. Thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>